0: hello and welcome to the IC Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by James Norrington. How are you doing, James? Very well, thank you, John. You've been out doing your bit for um, good causes this week.
1: Um, well, uh, I haven't done anything yet, um, but but um, I went to the, the launch of a, a very interesting manifesto um, to change the culture of wealth, which I think is very important and a cause uh, that, that we should all get behind.
0: Absolutely, because as we discussed in the office the other day, I think this is something that, whilst it's being led by, by women, it equally applies to many people who, who could benefit from what the work that they're doing
1: yeah. yeah absolutely
0: and it actually ties into the cover feature dividends uncovered which you've written uh, about the UK's dividend culture and how and how good that is for society at large so Phil you've been sitting waiting there patiently uh Phil Oakley how are you doing Phil good thank you excellent and you've written a sort of companion piece uh to, to James's uh dividends article this week uh you've looked at buybacks versus dividends and kind of ex- putting some numbers around uh what they actually mean uh for shareholders so, and essentially asking the question what's best i mean the uk is well known as a market where dividends are given a lot of focus america somewhat differently favors buybacks there's certainly some debate around uh the, the sustainability of, of buybacks in the u.s i mean where should we start should we start with buybacks should we start with dividends james let's move on to the feature we'll come on to your alpha report and some of the companies in there in a bit and uh, your fantasy portfolio which is doing okay not bad not bad right james what is the main thrust of the feature?
1: Well, uh, I, so if you're looking, um, if you're an income investor or if you're just an investor, dividends are a huge part of your total returns. Um, so there's two thrusts to the feature. One is um, is actually thinking about um, the sustain, the long-term sustainability of that dividend. Um, it needs to be backed by growing sales um, and and you know and, and earnings growth. Um, and uh, and you need to look at the quality of the business, something which you know, Phil does extensively um, every week with, with his his uh, column and his, his Alpha reports. The other side of it is, is the broader, more existential issue, is uh, prioritising giving money to shareholders and also the role, that the emphasis on, on growing dividends and uh, in, in, in remuneration packages for CEOs. Is that good for society? Has it led to an underinvestment in capacity? Uh, has have CapEx spending been high enough um, over a long period of time? We're Going back to um, a conference I went to back in January, um, uh, just one of the speakers, Jared Minak, um, was suggesting that there's been a massive underinvestment in the global economy since the early 1960s. And, and that's one of the reasons why um, we, we have um, a secular stagnation in the global economy now. Let's
0: mix the two pieces up. I guess the buyback, the reason American companies in particular have, have, have decided to, to buy back lots of their shares, well, one, there is a question around uh, how that flatters earnings and, and what that means for, for executive pay, but also because they can't find anything else to invest in.
2: <laughs> or Or they can't find, yeah, I think you're right, or you can't find something that gives the same benefit to the bottom line, or the earnings, magical earnings per share figure. Yeah, I mean, it would seem to me... It's a function of cheap money.
0: Yeah, and it would seem to me like a very short-term benefit, uh, rather than, as you kind of imply with your your view, that that if we perhaps hold back some dividends and use them to invest in, perhaps, research and development, the long-term benefits, not just to companies and shareholders, but to to, to society at large, would be vastly improved. There's a metric, Phil, that you've looked at in, in your piece called the equivalent rate of return and i guess in essence i mean just tell us tell us what it is in essence you can probably uh, articulate this, it better than i can yeah this
2: is taken from um uh, an annual report from next uh, i think it was 2012 and it's just a very very good way that they try and articulate whether a buyback is good for shareholders or or not and what they do is that they do a calculation on looking at um, an amount of money that can be spent buying back shares, what the impact on um, earnings per share that would give, and then they work out the equivalent rate of profit that would be needed to give the same EPS uplift, and divide it by the amount of money spent on buybacks to give the equivalent rate of return. So, to give you an example: if you had a, a situation where you had, you know, EPS enhancement of five percent, and that needed. 50 million of extra profit, and you were spending 500 million on buybacks to do that, that would give you an equivalent rate of return of 10%. So, what they're doing is that they are setting a, a hurdle rate, a barrier that you have to jump over to make sure that you are getting a good bang for your buck by buying back shares.
0: And I, I guess the point that certainly struck me from your piece is that whilst share buybacks are seen as a good way of returning money to shareholders, uh, because that's what shareholders seem to want these days, is a uh, an efficient way of boosting EPS. Actually, something that's often forgotten is the price at which you're buying back shares.
2: Exactly. I mean, and of course, th- there's no right answer to this, but the simple answer is that you only make shareholders richer if you buy shares for less than what they're worth, which sounds great in theory, but, you know, you're... you're uh, view of what a shares is worth is going to be different from mine and going to be different from somebody else's. And f- for me, it, it boils down to, you have to look at this over a number of years, and it, and it boils down to a very simple bit of maths, really, as to how, how do you make money from owning a share? And you make money from the share price going up or and a dividend being paid. Those are the only two ways that you can make money from owning a share and for buybacks to work really in the bottom line and the hard truth of all this is that it only really works if the share price subsequently goes up because if it doesn't then your return to a shareholder hasn't hasn't changed unless of course the buyback is so significant and so earnings enhancing that it can allow you to pay a materially bigger dividend but generally generally speaking, um, for buybacks to work, the company has to be in a good place. It has to be growing and the shares have to be reasonably valued. And if neither of those two criteria are met buybacks can be big flops
0: yeah i mean let's move on to dividends i mean james um phil's talked about you know returning money through buybacks companies obviously obviously like to return money through dividends dividends is, is perhaps a greater part of the uk culture and 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 something that companies are often desperate to protect to the point where perhaps they pay dividends in your view when they shouldn't be
1: well, I think um, it, it's it's it, I, I, you know, I repeat, dividends are an, an important part of shareholder return, and uh, so the, there's the the argument uh, there that, that's often the dividend puzzle. It's called where, where people say, well, why don't you uh, a company should reinvest all its profits, grow the business, and when you want income, uh, sell, make sales, and, and create your own dividends out of the capital sales.
0: Well, you talk about this. There's a, little, I, it's a tiny. I think it's out, flawed
1: it's- by the fact that, that you know um, you know if the stock market is has fallen, then you end up selling things for less than they're worth, and, I, I uh, have, have and- Crystallising losses, whereas a dividend, a company that protects its dividends, protecting income to its shareholders, and that's a good thing. Um, but uh, the problem I, had, had the, I think, I think that, that, that it's just got a little bit too far. Too far. I mean, the sense mean that dividends, uh, dividend, a lot of companies, you know, their dividend cover. If you look at uh, the top line metric. It's, you know, it's sort of 1.52, a lot of the biggest payers, you know, within that sort of range, which, which, you know, on the face of it, that looks like it's well covered. Um, But then uh, if you look at the – also if you include, uh, you know, special payments – uh, and, uh, and And if you look compare the size of, um, of of returns to shareholders in terms of dividends and and buybacks as a whole versus what they 're investing in in replacement capex and and particularly in some of these these industries which are socially very important like energy industries um, you know sort of uh, you know, Shell for example made about 9 put a uh, 920 million I think dollars uh, investment into into to the R&D but that pales that's a, that's you know that's pales, pales in comparison to what it spends out on 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 distributing money back to shareholders so there's a there is the balance quite right that's the question
2: James just I think one of one of the issues here is that I I I think the companies if they could find attractive projects to invest in and grow profits they would and I think one of the one one of the issues as I see it is that if you look at the big dividend payers on on the u k stock market, these are very, very big mature companies it's very hard for these companies to do something which allows them to get much bigger because they are already very big and they are churning out lots of cash and for a lot of these companies, there isn't the ability to go and spend it on a on a new project and the danger of is that they actually go and buy another company instead and the track record of making shareholders richer from acquisitions is actually very very patchy some would say very poor and so actually paying a dividend to shareholders and saying to shareholders you take this money and you do what you want with it actually is the right thing to do.
1: I did actually make that point in the feature that, that from a, a capital allocation point of view having a dividend it, it gives you an opportunity to reinvest in, 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 in better opportunities that's uh, why I've written put in the my version of the BCG matrix uh, into the feature BCG? BCG no Boston, acronyms on this show Boston, sorry the Boston Consulting Group matrix uh, which is is uh, is, uh, is about harvesting and divesting projects it was originally a management diagram I've sort of adapted it for, um, for investing where you have your cash cows so your big dividend paying stock and then you might take that money invest it in some of the question marks which might be the exciting growth stocks which offer the opportunities of the future or you might really want to sort of to double up in the stars of your portfolio which are the companies which are, are sort of delivering good solid sustainable cash flows and, and are growing their sales and their, their profits.
0: I think it's a really useful piece of analysis, actually. I, mm. I, I'm quite impressed with this. Quite impressed, Jane, but quite mm. impressed. I, I, I think it's a really useful way of like looking at the role certain companies play in your portfolio. But I mean, there is a tendency, I, I would say, among certain you know segments of the UK investing uh, population to, to, to go for these very you know, reliable dividend-paying companies. I guess the other big question is, that, well, firstly... Is there a, be- a better way to invest your money in, than in taking these, just simply taking these dividends out of companies in long term decline? Because that leads on to the second part of this question how sustainable are, are dividends in the case of some well, of these very well, large companies?
1: Well, this is the, the sort of the other point. To, so, what Phil says is absolutely right. You know, in, 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 in if cash some of these companies it's hard for them to um uh, to find a good project to invest in and the cash is sitting inefficiently uh, on their balance sheet then they should return it to shareholders but 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 then there's a wider but there's a wider social issue there's there's um if there's if um, some of these companies um by for example i mean i don't necessarily agree with all of this research but one of the the pieces i cited in in the feature talks about um the effective subsidy that energy companies get um because they aren't forced to pick up the tab for all the externalities of fossil fuels so these companies are making this money which is is being returned as cash to shareholders now if they should if they were forced to pick up more of the tab of, of climate change then they wouldn't be be making this money and that's sort of the social argument it's it's probably it's a it's probably not one that most of the the IC investing audience possibly want w- would agree with but it is definitely a consideration that there are these companies making super normal profits at the um, at the expense of, um, of wider society and, and the environment that's um, that's you know, that's part of the issue.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it's a fascinating debate. I guess we're not going to solve it here. I, I guess the you know what's the key takeaway for investors when they're looking at at companies that are buying back shares or or paying you know very very large dividends that, that investors have, have over the years relied relied on. Well, I mean, what's your what's your key conclusion from this feature, James?
1: Well, I mean, I I think um, as as I said, as I I'm not anti-dividends. They're definitely not. But I think, well, it's, I think especially companies-
0: actually, there's something that we haven't touched on. That is the 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 incredible power of of reinvested dividends and the the compounding effects of that.
1: Which again, I mentioned there. I mean, it, it's um, I think uh, that the 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 compound annual growth rate um, is. Uh, is, is about is slightly below one percent um, real real returns from equity since nineteen hundred just uh, um, you know just from price returns you, you chuck in dividends it's um, it's it's over five percent and that, that and, and and over over one hundred nineteen years it's obviously that's the, the triumph of the optimists um, uh, study that I'm quoting here again uh, then it, it makes difference of um, multiple
0: I guess it gets back to something we uh, we were chatting about earlier Phil take the dividends reinvest them investments on autopilot. Or is it that simple?
2: I don't think I don't think it's that simple, but I think it's a good strategy. But I think you know this whole share buyback dividend thing is that one of one of the things that I would like to see more of is you can actually have both. Companies, very few companies, go down the route of doing a doing a special dividend and a share consolidation. So they pay out a certain amount in dividends and then they consolidate the share capital. By reducing the number of shares which, but, which is es-
0: essentially what's happening with the buyback Not that, reducing the number of reducing you buy yes, back the you, shares and cancel
2: yeah them. yeah but you but by paying a special dividend or a b share or something like that the investor gets a tangible return it isn't relying on the share price going up so what happened this has been done by intercontinental hotels stage stagecoach the um bus and rail company has been a Great example of doing this. It treats all shareholders the same. It's fair. And you get a cash return. You see a consolidation in the number of shares, which obviously reduces your shareholding, but it's offset by the cash and the dividend. Yeah. Um, but for the company's point of view, you get the same benefit by shrinking the number of shares as a share buyback. So you can actually have the best of both worlds. Interesting. Why don't more more companies do it? I don't know. I would like to see more companies do this. Um, I think probably the reason they don't do it, or one of the reasons they don't do it, is because their advisors probably tell them not to do it because there's no money in it for them.
0: Mm. Often seems to be the way of the world. There you go. James, uh, thank you. uh, Lots, I mean, there's two quite significant articles here on dividends and buybacks, so I'd encourage you to go away and, and read them. There's probably lots more questions that come out of that, uh, which we will spend the next 150 years answering. James, you touched on a subject um, in your feature uh, and in this discussion around kind of the social aspects of, of dividends and the, the kind of pros and cons from a social perspective. Let's come back to your your uh, your travels this week. So you, you've actually been out quite a lot recently. I think you're at the Credit Suisse... Global Returns Yearbook launch? That was last week. That was yeah. last week. Yeah. We haven't talked about it on the podcast.
1: No, no, no. But it's um, they're, they're a focus um, for the guys, uh, um, Elroy Dimpson, Paul Marsh and Mike Staunton. The optimists. The optimists, um, you know, who, who basically uh, you know, th- thoroughly rely on their research for a lot of what I write every year. So thanks, guys, again. Um, uh, so, but they they updated their their seminal work um, on on asset on long run asset returns, and the focus this year was on um, uh, uh, in the presentation they had a look at China and the the um, the increasing importance of China. I mean, obviously it's not a new, hardly a new story, Chinese growth, but uh, the um, uh, the increasing um, so the importance of, of China in, in investable indices because uh, that's um, that that's that's risen. It's
0: very good headline, James.
1: Mm. long march to optimism i do i am a fan of my history as you know
0: yeah absolutely the second thing second third yeah you you seem to be out every morning at at one breakfast or another this week skipping
1: breakfast at each one i I hasten to add (laughs) skipping skipping breakfast and uh yeah just just getting there on time for the presentations
0: um so so the other one was uh the uh the 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 thing we mentioned at the beginning of the the podcast talk us through this i think there's something interesting going on here
1: Well, I think it's very interesting. There's a number of subjects. Uh, It's got a few ideas um, worth pursuing. Uh, So so changing the culture of wealth – it, it's starting as a, as a as a as a women's movement an empowerment movement, but Why? But, but it's not exclusive. Well, because I think I think you know, wealth has historically been concentrated in the hands of men. I mean, you look at the IC readership; it's overwhelmingly uh, sort of white men over the age of fifty five. Um, we we know this from from years of of, dem- of, of our sort of demographic reader research. Um, wealth has been concentrated in in the hands of men. Um, but but there are a lot of women out there um, who, who who want to who, who want to get investing don't feel served very well by um, the culture um, of of investing um, and and it's very interesting at this time because it's it's not just a, a gender issue it's issues sustainability um, ESG um, uh, environment. Um, Environmental, social, social governance. governance. yep uh, ESG um, is uh, just to break up the acronyms. There uh, is is, you know, is becoming more and more important. It's, be- it's important to millennial investors as well. Um, so this is a big movement. It's about opening up accessibility for investment um, uh, across society and actually putting pressure to make things work better within the industry as well. Playing devil's advocate,
0: the opportunities are out there. For, you know, if you're if you're out there earning, you know, at the beginning of your career, you're a millennial, you don't have a family, you know. I mean, I guess the pressures are the same whether you're male or female, um, and I guess that's why we're talking about this. Although it's being led by women, it has broader implications. Um, but, but, but actually, the you know anyone can walk into Smiths and pick up a copy of the Investors Chronicle, read, Phil, learn how to invest. I don't see barriers in that respect.
1: There's a there's a big education gap, um, which actually stems from from schools the way that that, that people are taught about investing. Um, and I think that those you you just um, quite rightly picked me up on using acronyms earlier. The financial industry is rife with acronyms. It, it's terrible. So, but balance for better is about changing a culture. Um, it's it's which uh, it's making things more accessible. Um, um, breaking down barriers of information, breaking and barriers of gender are obviously a, have historically been a part of it. Um, but it's also it's, it's breaking down barriers of of, of, of class, of, of education, of information, and, and and you know you do have accessibility to, to information, um, uh, but but and it's also the way that, that, that products have been sold historically, um, yeah. And uh, you know that there's a bit of a gap with people having access to financial advice. Phil, I mean going back to education, there's something you and I have spoken about. I I, I wholeheartedly
0: agree with you, James. That I, I think the the point at which uh, children are introduced to Practical information about investing—what it actually is and what it means—well, I would say it's far too late. Actually, I don't think it happens at all.
2: No, I don't think it does either.
0: How are we going to change this, Phil? Well,
2: I think maybe you and I should roll <laughs> up our sleeves and uh, get out get, there. Get and, out there in the yeah. comprehensive schools no, of the land,
0: and uh, I think we should. And uh, no, I, I'm 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 all for that. I uh, I know that uh, Martin Lewis has recently spent a lot of money, uh, Martin Lewis, for money-saving expert, yeah. on a textbook to help teach children about personal finance issues but I think I think the investment side of things I I, I think it it misrepresents some of the concepts around investing that are important particularly our risk for example yeah which which is something I've I've covered in my editorial this week the idea that risk is something to be avoided
2: yeah yeah I mean if you you know if you don't make a mistake or don't try and make do something that might lead you to make a mistake, you tend not to make anything.
0: Well, exactly. So, I mean, you know, in, in investing terms, that's putting your money in a cash ISA and seeing it whistled away by
1: inflation versus buying some shares and and actually bit, earning that risk well, premium. Well, well, we know that there's a risk of doing nothing, inflation. So so it's it's a bit like, um, you know, never leaving the house because you're worried to get running run over while you're an agoraphobic and you have a terrible life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, you, and you referred earlier, of course, to, to uh, the optimists, which is all about.
1: It's all about the power of equity compounding and the real real rate of returns um, and over time uh, equities um, as of you know investing in equities uh, has been you know the surefire way of beating inflation i mean
0: I, I think it's i mean i think it's really important i think you know equities to me represent kind of the creative economy they're, they're companies who are and this perhaps even ties in with a dividend argument you know if, if equities can only deliver dividends they're not delivering that creative that creative push that investment that, that drives the world forward and they equities might stop doing what they're supposed to be doing
2: but i, I think they are doing what they're supposed to be doing because I, I think you've just got to segment the market you've got these the big dividend payers are generally the big companies that have gone through the like their life cycle they've started off small they've got bigger and bigger and bigger and when companies become big their opportunities to become bigger as i said earlier diminish this has like a, a, and, a and therefore a, they they pay out the cash what's happening at the smaller end of the market is you've got younger companies who are not paying dividends and are reinvesting. And that is where that is where the growth is coming from. This is where the investment in the economy, I'm not saying that big companies don't invest in the economy, I mean, companies like utilities, infrastructure companies, that big companies, they plough billions of pounds of cash into the economy. But in terms of the innovation, perhaps, that is, I think that is happening. Should we talk about some companies, Phil, before,
0: Can do, we, yep. before we sign off? Can do, yeah. Uh, so, how's the portfolio doing? pretty well not bad not bad so uh you've uh you've lost one company two companies two
2: companies i've got rid of Yep, Newlever, and hargreaves lansdowne which you there. grilled me on a few
0: weeks ago so we won't talk about that again no. um you've introduced one two 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 wh smith yeah and
2: uh, an american company big one uh, mastercard
0: excellent big companies yep but potentially benefiting from some interesting trends that we we discussed yeah,
2: earlier big companies that are got well certainly w h. Smith has got a growing travel business it's got a shrinking high street business, but um that business is doing very well uh, it's got captive customers it makes good profits. And, and it going, does
0: buybacks very well, as you. Uh, it
2: does buybacks incredibly well because it um, it's not going into debt to buy back shares. It's using surplus cash. It's not overpaying, and it's supplementing the profit growth in the business.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, W uh Mastercard,
2: Mastercard. Yeah, I mean this company's been doing incredibly well, um, along with Visa. Really, they are very, very dominant card services, providers... Is it a death of cash story? Partly, yeah. It's, um, you know, as we move more to a, a cashless society, a uh, cashless world, also, you know, digital world, internet transactions. But not only that, it's things like you can pay your mate with a phone or with a card, instantaneous payment, paying tradesmen with stuff... It's it- it's quite interesting in the context
0: of what we were just talking about in terms of large companies struggling to find new things to invest in yeah. versus small companies that yeah. are much more innovative. This is a large company that's doing some of the things that you would expect to be, uh, you know, the 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 kind of it's innovating. Uh, the, the, the innovative yeah. end of the the sort of uh, finance market. What you might call fintech. So yeah. big companies can do fintech.
2: Yeah, big and and you know, Mastercard and Visa are doing it. And the thing is, as well as they are not being booted out the way by big upstarts yet. I mean, you can look at things like PayPal, Apple Pay, Google Pay. These are piggybacking the card carriers, because when you pay with PayPal, you're paying with a credit card or a debit card.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And the infrastructure of the card companies in terms of just the sheer scale, the security element of it, the processing element of it, that's very hard and very expensive to replicate.
1: Well, I'm one of the things I saw uh, blockchain technology and very interested in. Uh, well, Are you? Well, I'm. Getting, that's one of the part of the, the fintech thing. Just putting that, I'm putting feature pictures now on the podcast. But the, this, the, it,
0: this is like a tomorrow technology that no one's quite worked at how to use. Well, company, I yeah. think
1: I think one of one of the key areas is, is with security of payments and, and and transactions. And and I think would be very interesting is to find those small companies that have tie ups with some of the big uh, players. Mastercard's and, doing it. Yeah,
2: it's doing it itself. Or it's buying or it's buying companies that, that can do that kind of thing. And this is a big company. And, you know, it's growing its top line in the sort of low to mid-teens. And it's buying back shares. It's phenomenally profitable. Profit margins are 56%. And the other thing is that these companies don't give out loans. This is one of the big misconceptions of the credit card companies. They are not lenders. They are facilitators of people people borrowing money from banks.
0: Yeah, so so you've got a Barclay card. Yeah. Visa MasterCard are your kind of intermediary between you spending the money and Barclay's lending you the money.
2: Yeah, exactly. Barclay's is using the MasterCard or the Visa system to allow you to go and borrow money to buy stuff. And the risk, if you don't pay back... Is with Barclays, not with Mastercard,
0: and, that, and they get a per transaction fee presumably, or some, yep. something along those lines. Yeah,
2: they get transaction fee. Yeah,
0: that's good. I've been mean, talking of transaction fees. The other, another business that's in your portfolio that you've written about this week, uh, the London Stock Exchange.
2: Yeah, I, I quite like this business. Um,
0: you like it as an investment. We don't necessarily like it as a. I in think that's what it represents. I mean, we've had discussions around uh, its, its dominance, along with a few other companies of, of the indexing business, for example. Yeah. Not 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 huge fans of of that. You'd
2: worry if you're a customer of it. You probably don't like it because you probably think it's got too much pricing power. You know, when it when it comes each year and says, "Here's your bill for access to data and the exchange fee," you look at it and you will wince. And that, that, let's be fair, that is a risk. There's a risk that a government regulator will come down and clamp down on that.
0: Yeah. I d- there's no
2: sign of that happening so far. No,
0: nope. um, uh, we know there's been some competitors who have tried to muscle in on this. Who
1: bats have bats. tried to do um, re- basically create a UK hundred index, uh, a UK two fare, UK all share index. Um, FTSE just has its tremendous brand recognition power, but um, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think it's a business that. Uh, you know, they thought with the explosion of passives and ETFs they were going to make a load of money uh, when the LSE bought 100% stake off of, of the... Um, yeah, we Well, when we were owned by Pearson, uh, we owed half of it as part of the FT. Um, and, uh, you know, strategic, was that a good sale of ours? I don't know. It was, no, no comments No comments. <laughs> <it was. laughs>
2: Um, LSE is doing very nicely out of its FTSE Russell business yeah, and, and yeah, looks it like it awesome. will continue to do so
0: I, I guess one of the big worries for, for the LSE um, and if you look at that share price which you've got going back to 2014 there's a big dip in the middle of 2016 which was presumably a Brexit concern yeah. there's a big dip towards the end of last year, which was, I guess, a combination of the, the, the sort of global sell-off and further Brexit concerns. But yeah. this is the share price going in the right direction? Yeah, I think so, it is. And a lot of the fears have, have seemingly proved unfounded.
2: Well, if you look at, you know, one of their big businesses is Clearing, um, big swaps, derivatives market in London. And there were there were fears that this this market for the euro, euro market, European market, was going to go to Frankfurt, and it's not. And it doesn't, even, and it's not going to. And um, I think I think there's been a lot of scaremongering on this kind of thing, and it's quite clear. This business is staying in London, and the profits are staying with London Stock Exchange. So yeah, it was her tip of the year, wasn't it? It was, it was in was, yeah. it was in one of them. Yeah,
0: yeah, tip tip of the year. Um, there's one thing that that jumps out. I guess us this week, uh, which you've mentioned in your, your piece, is this, uh, this abandonment of, of profit margin targets.
1: Yeah.
2: It a little bit of nervousness,
0: but, but you're
2: not concerned? I'm not concerned because, I mean, I think I think the city and, and the market tend to be very short term. Um, it's this obsession with meeting the next quarter or the next year's numbers. And this is proof in point that companies who decide, nope, we're going to sacrifice that a little bit and we're going to invest for future growth. Um, Coming for a unfair criticism, in my view, and yeah. um, they are—you know—they're going to be putting their money into clearing, which they've got a very good position in. Data analytics and data—very lucrative market, as we've just touched on. Um, these are unquestionably, in my mind, good things to do, and I think companies should be applauded for taking a long-term view.
0: But takes us kind of neatly back to where we started this whole discussion with with dividends buybacks and and actually companies investing themselves.
2: I think as long as the profits are growing you should be happy as a shareholder yeah. and providing you know the price put on those profits is not ridiculous. Um and let's you know let's not overcomplicate this and and stick to the knitting and that's what people should be should be focusing on. You're going to get richer owning a share if if the company can grow its profits not by whether it pays them out to you in a dividend or uses them to shrink, shrink shares. It is essentially growth, profits growth, that is going to determine how well your investment does. Which I guess takes us back to, to the, the familiar refrain of quality. Uh, and growth. Growth, growth matters. If you, if
0: the quality of growth matters too.
2: The quality of, the quality of growth, the sustainability of growth, um, which is probably what we're trying to get at with, with quality and the visibility of that. Um, that is that is a way to do quite well and sleep quite well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Anyway, uh, yeah, lots of ground covered there. Lots of philosophical discussion. Uh, thank you, Phil. Thank you, James. Uh, lots more in the magazine this week uh, and obviously in uh, Phil's alpha uh, update. We've got John Barron's column uh, talking about commercial property, uh, an unloved but unstoppable sector Lots in the uh, personal finance and funds section, which they will talk about on their podcast uh, tomorrow. A double page column for Mr. Bearball and Chris Dillo, um, as well as uh, the usual comment from Simon. Lots of results. Lots of results, hundreds of results, more results than you could possibly read in a week. Uh, and probably about the same amount next week as well. Uh, looking at the flat plan. Thank you all for listening. It's a good piece, James. Uh, Dividends Uncovered uh, is the UK's dividend culture at risk. Uh, and obviously Phil's companion piece is worth reading uh, alongside that too. Get along to all good WH miss, uh Pick it up, £4.90, or get on the website and subscribe. See you next week.